You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. If you've got a copy of the Bible with you this morning, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. And boy, this is... Uh... This is the first for me. The enemy must be attacking us. Uh, preacher's sick. Somebody punched Chris, I think. And I get in here and get ready to preach, and I don't have page one. I've, I've left page one. And I have some good stuff. But... Praise be to the Lord, I have, I have it in digital form here. So we're going to continue on. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the Lord's church. No matter what the enemy does to try to attack us, praise God, uh, the enemy's not sovereign. God is sovereign. So we're going to continue on. Hebrews chapter 9, for the sake of the context, the message titled, Jesus Mediator. Uh, for the sake of the context, I'm going to read chapter 9 in its entirety and chapter 10 through verse 18. If you're ready for the Scripture, say Amen. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness, for a tent was prepared, the first section in which, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of the incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak in detail. These preparations, having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offered for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with the food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
Therefore, He is mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promise eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where there is a will, for where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will, excuse me, for a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and itself, the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And the same way, and in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it is necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed to man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of, a, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscience of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you neither desired nor taken pleasure in, in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered all, for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, 
waiting for, from that time until his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law on their hearts and write them on their minds. He adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Lord God, we come before you as, as your church today. And God, we look this morning... We look this morning at the work that you have performed. And, and it is just that, Lord. You came and you performed a work. You physically carried out a task on the behalf of your church. And you teach us in this section of Scripture, Lord, the superiority of that work over the law and the sacrifices and those things that, were, that, that you designed to point us towards Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, I just pray, uh, God, that you would open our hearts, that you would give us hearts to receive the truth of who Jesus is and, and, and why uh, he has done this work. Lord, I pray that you would cleanse us by the preaching of your word. And God, I confess to you, I'm not worthy but praise God that it's not my merits, Lord, just as we're looking at here. It's not my merits that you look upon, but the merits of Christ Jesus. And God, I praise you for that. And I just give you all the glory and the honor and the praise this morning. Lord, thank you for bringing us here. We pray for the kings. We pray for Chris. We pray for all those that are missing. And Lord... Uh, we pray most of all that you would honor yourself in the, in the preaching of your word today, that you would show yourself strong in salvation. And God, I ask it in the name of my Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Hebrews chapter 9, Jesus mediator. Let's try to, let's try to define mediation because the... the the question bubbles to the top of my heart is, uh, why? Why mediator? I mean, it seems to me there's a, there's a sense in which if God is sovereign and if God is creator and He can do anything He wants, why would He choose to do it this way? Why couldn't He, you know, uh, I have family members who are, uh, they're offended by the doctrines of grace and they don't, they don't like to, really you talk to me about spiritual things because it always comes up and and they and one of the one of the issues that one of them is always saying is is God didn't make robots that's always the stance there and I, I got to be honest when I when I'm struggling to die to my flesh when I'm struggling to mortify the flesh there's a sense in which I think wouldn't it have just been easier so why a mediator? Mediation is defined. I'm only going to use this computer for page one, and then I've got hard copy. It keeps turning itself off. Mediation defined as the proper use in which 
of which in theology refers to the work of Christ in establishing the gospel dispensation and in its continuance to the end. That comes from Merrill Unger. Scripture just kind of generally, just generally speaking, Scripture depicts the Lord Jesus as a mediator. We see in Romans chapter 5, and verse, verses 2 through 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into His grace, in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory. And so, so Jesus as mediator, depicted as mediator, just really throughout, and that's just one example. There's a, there, I, could, I could drag up a bunch of them. He's depicted as the one who brings peace to me. He made me at peace with God, says the Scripture. Now, now I want to make clear that this is not a subjective feeling of peace, like it's an inner peace that, well, I'm just happy all the time, or, or I'm just relaxed all the time. If you know me very well, you know I'm not relaxed. I'm anxious about all kinds of things I have no control over. Well, it's, it's literally a judicial term. The, 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 the point-blank fact is that God, sovereign God, has declared war on the unrepentant sinner. On the unbeliever, God has declared war. But for me, as one who has been called and redeemed, He has said to me, I make you at peace. I'm not at war with you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. I'm for you. It's a judicial term. And so as mediator... The work that Christ did, this, this, this mediation depiction that we have in, in all of Scripture, the work that Christ did was He took the enemy of God and He made me to be at peace with Him. Now there's, there's a reason for mediation. If I were to if I were to ask the question, why, why a mediator, there's, there's, really, there's really two main reasons. And, and we don't have time to, to break it down into its, its finest details. And so I'll just give you the two main headings. If I were going to, if I were going to uh, organize this in, in, a, in an outline, the two main points for why a mediator, why we need a mediator, is the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. I am incompatible with holy God. Apart from the atoning work, the substitutionary atoning death of Christ, I am incompatible with a holy God. I cannot go into His presence. The only place God will have anything to do with your sin is at the cross. He wants nothing to do with it. And so th that, that fact makes the necessity for a mediator. Now, I, I bring that up because not all things that God does is of a necessity. You know, I've been spending a lot of time, and some of y'all are in my biblical manhood and womanhood class, so I've, been, I've spent probably the last three months a, a lot of time reading the, mostly the creation account. I spent a lot of time in the creation account. That's the first mention of all that stuff, and so that's where a lot of it is. And something came out to me when, when I was doing that. The Lord 
rested on the Sabbath day. But he didn't need rest. He's, he doesn't get tired. The Lord doesn't get weary. And so there wasn't a necessity for him to rest. He rested as an example for us. And so for me to say that mediation was a necessity, that's kind of a big deal. Because I don't want it to seem like, I don't, I don't want to have in my heart that the Lord was required to do anything on my behalf. He doesn't owe me anything. But He sought a relationship with me. And in order to have that relationship with me, this, this, this work of mediation was a necessity. For two reasons. Because of His holiness and my sinfulness. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. I just read, but in the second place... Only the high priest goes, but, but, uh, and he only once a year, not, not without taking blood, for he offers for himself and the unintentional sins of the people. By the Holy Spirit, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates. Now, what that's, what that's saying is, is we're getting a little exposition. He's saying, here's, here's an exposition of some Levitical law, we have the description of the tabernacle, and, and he's breaking that down for you and saying, okay, when you go back and you read that, here's what that means. He says, by this very fact that the tabernacle is, is in two rooms, you have the holy and the holy of holies, and the priests go into the holy place daily and perform their ceremonies, but the holy of holy, only the high priest, he says, goes in there, and he only goes once a year, and he doesn't go without blood. I've said from this pulpit before, uh, it's, I've, and I can't remember where I heard it, but I've read somewhere or, or heard some preacher say somewhere that they would tie a rope with a bell around that high priest. And they'd send him in there. And of course, the rope stays outside because if that rascal goes in there with sin on him that he's, that's not confessed, he may fall over dead. And they can't go in there and get him. So they've got to drag him out. Here we have this exposition of what this means. It says, by, by the very fact that this is, is indicated that this is the way it was, the Holy Spirit is saying that as long as that front room exists, you don't have access to God. But we have a mediator. Why a mediator? He brings us to that place of peace. He brings us to that place where I now have access to God. A holy priesthood. There is another phrase here in that, se in that section of Scripture. It says, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifice are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worker, of the worshiper. And what that means is that even though there was a covering of the sins, and that was a that 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 place that those those Levitical laws and those sacrifices were made as a portrait of what was to come, and so they were good. The, the Lord drew a good picture of that, a good way to understand the coming of the Lord that we can look back on. But it was an incomplete thing at that time. What he's saying right here is those covering, the blood of those goats and the ashes of those calves didn't really cleanse that sin. 
And so the conscience wasn't made perfect. There's only one mediator, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through Him that I have the opportunity to have my conscience made perfect. In other words, I can know I'm forgiven. Not that my conscience goes away. We all still have a conscience, but the conscience is, is, is put there by God. It's a gift from God that's in every human being. And what the conscience does is it accuses me. My conscience picks out sin in my life and it makes an accusation towards me in my own self and it brings guilt. And so when the Bible says here in, in this letter to the Hebrews that, that these sacrifices didn't make the perfect conscience, didn't cleanse perfectly the conscience of the worshiper, what he's saying is they knew in their conscience, I still have sin on me. I've got to go back and do this again. We carried it out correctly this time, but I'm not pure. I'm not clean. On this side of the cross, we have the, the, the mediator that can make the perfect conscience. Even though I still have sin, I'm not, I'm not pure in that way. I'm not sinless in that way. I still have a conscience that accuses me I still have the Holy Spirit who, who puts His finger on a particular sin and says, deal with this. You're my child. I've called you to holiness. Deal with this sin. I still have that in my life. But at the same time, my conscience has been made perfect because I know I belong to the Lord. I know, I know that I know that I know by the reading of the Word, by the spending of time in prayer with the Holy Spirit and with the Lord and going before Him, I know He has forgiven me that His work was perfect. And so this work of mediation by the mediator, Jesus Christ, has given me freedom. When the Bible says He made me to be at peace with Him, I can know that. The author of Hebrews there became an expository of the Levitical law. He gives us a clear, better understanding of how that Levitical law draws for us a portrait of the mediator that was to come. It's the basic theme of the letter to the Hebrews. The, when you read through Hebrews, you come across these, these superiority. Christ is a superior. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to the law. He's in his priesthood. He's superior to the priests that were. They had to keep going back and keep going back and keep going back. We just read through the, through the segment of that text where it says Christ went in once and for all. He was superior to those. There's a superiority of Christ that is the, the theme, the main theme of this letter to the Hebrews. God's provision of the need of a perfect priest and a perfect sacrifice is the central message of this letter. And so I go into that with, with that in the back of my mind as I read through this, this section. I, I chose that section as my text for the context because there seems to be a special emphasis on blood. That's why I chose to read from 9.1 to 10.18 because in that section of Scripture, when we're 
being this, this portrait of Jesus as mediator is being drawn for us, there's a section there where there's a special emphasis on, on the blood of Jesus. As I go through and I try to define mediation, why the mediator, there's a couple of things that are important to remember. Number one is, is why mediation. I need to always keep that on my mind. Why do I need a mediator? Because of God's holiness and my sinfulness. Those are the two reasons. Another thing is, where does that mediation come from? It flows out of the love of God. That's why He did that. That's why He became mediator. That's why He came and did that work. We're talking about the call of men and women in, in this core course and, and how we are made in the image of God. And part of that, part of that depiction is, is a call for us to work. We have, we have responsibilities and, and, and uh, mandates given to us by God. And... He also took on a responsibility here. He came and did a work for us. And it flowed from His love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. How did He love the world? This is He so loved it. How did He love the world? He gave. What did He give? His only begotten Son. Romans 5.8 that we just heard a little while ago. But God shows His love for us in that. How does He show His love for us? In that. While we were still sinners, He died for us. Who died for us? Christ died for us. He came and performed work that was necessary because of His holiness and my sinfulness, there was a great separation and incompatibility, but out of His love flowed that work that He came and performed as mediator. Jesus, mediator. The third and final thing to always have in the, in, on your mind to be remembering when you're dealing with Jesus, mediator, not only necessary because of His holiness and my sinfulness, and it flowed from His love, also that Christ is the only mediator. In Christ are found the qualifications for that mediation that only He can meet. Now this goes against some teaching. This goes against some teaching that's prevalent in the world. Catholicism says that there are men and women, priests and, and saints, particularly the Virgin Mary who acts as our mediator. But there are qualifications for this mediator that only Christ meets. He is God. Without being divine, He could not sacrifice Himself for the remission of sins. Hebrews 9.14 that we just read. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish. There's a qualification for that, for that Lamb of God that has to be spotless and without blemish. 
any other lamb. You can't bring your lamb with the broken leg. You can't bring your blind lamb. You can't bring the lamb that you don't really mind getting rid of. He said, no, when you bring that lamb, it's got to be spotless and pure. The best one you have. Without divinity, he's disqualified. He couldn't be the source of eternal life. If he wasn't God, he couldn't be the source of eternal life and the, re- and the perfect revelation of God to men. Romans 8, 3 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, or maybe translated as, as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. So in other words, you couldn't have carried it out because you are fallen. You would have never made it. We we, we can't even make it past infancy. We can't make it past childhood. If you've got children, (laughs) you know about disobedience. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. It comes naturally to us. You have to teach them not to. You have to train them up in the admonition of the Lord. Without divinity, he could not control the events after his death. God is sovereign. The Lord Jesus, in his sovereignty, carries out the events after his death to bring it to the consummation of the end. What good would it have done for for any sacrifice to have given himself and then not be in control of the events afterward? We've seen, you know, I, I come up here today and said, well, the, the enemy's attacking us. If you pay attention, the enemy is attacking in, in so many ways that some of them seem good. I've said lately, I'm, I get attacked with a busyness at work, and, and most people would say, well, that's a good thing. You're going to make money. Well, if it, if it overtakes me and it becomes more important to me than studying my Bible taking care of my wife, doing things that make my wife happy. I've stepped out of place now and money's not going to do me any good. It's a, it can be an attack of the enemy. The enemy caused me, well, I'm blaming my bad memory or whatever's going on here. Why did I forget page one? I don't know. Well, he's God. The qualifications I'm talking about of mediator. He's God. He's also man. To redeem man to be the representative of man, he had to be man. Hebrews chapter 2, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. This, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will, tell you, I will tell you, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So he was was God, and he was man. Qualifications for being mediator, for being sacrificed. He was without sin, the third one. Under the law, the lamb laid down a sacrifice would be without blemish. He could not have access to God and be the source of holy life for the believer if he had sinned at all. 
there was one sin in the life of Christ, he would not have access to God. He would be in the, in the need of a mediator. Same way that I am. 1 Peter 2.22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Hebrews chapter 7, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. So Jesus, mediator. The stand between. The word mediator means the middle man. It might be translated the middle man. I, I preached a version of this message one time. Uh, it's the only other time I've ever preached it. And, and I'll, I'll confess to you, I had to get in here and change some things. There was something that wasn't right in there. Uh, Josh and I just talked about that. It's, that's one of the fears I have standing in the pulpit. You don't want to say something wrong. I mean, you just don't want to. It scares me. But you know what the truth is? I have. The first time I preached this, I said something wrong. I had to correct it. One thing I said that was right about this, as mediator... It's really a, a kind of a judicial term. I am the accused. Holy God is the judge. And mediator would be like my attorney. Now, he's a holy attorney. The difference is, uh, the attorneys we think about today, uh, they want to try to find a loophole in the law. They want to they come in here and say, okay, well, I know my client's guilty. I know this rascal's guilty. But... I'm good at this. I'm good at manipulating the law. Let me look at this law. Let me study it and find it. Let me find the right way to word it so that he can't be indicted with this law. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to manipulate the wording so that even if the jury thinks, or even if the judge thinks, now he's probably guilty, but this attorney has argued the case good enough that there's a reasonable doubt, and so I'm not going to indict. We have a mediator. We have an, a, an attorney, so to speak, a middleman that stands between me and the judge who, rather than that, says, I know my client is guilty, but I will take the punishment. Set my client free, and I will go in his stead. The first time I preached this, the only other time I preached this afterwards, and this was at First Baptist Marlowe, and after the sermon, a lady lawyer came to me and said, <laughs> said I, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer when I was a kid, and all my life I've been in church, and lawyers are always representative as, as, of the sinner. It's the first time I've ever heard anybody say, Jesus was a lawyer. And I said, well, uh, I'm glad you didn't become a tax collector. <laughs> That's what he was. He stood in my place. He was the middleman between me and a holy God. Now, he didn't act like lawyers today. But you know what? He didn't act like preachers today either. And he didn't act like the priest of this time. He is holy. He was the only one qualified. The body of this message. Jesus mediator. How was Jesus my mediator? Look with me at verse 7 and 8. 
Chapter 9, verse 7 and 8. But into the second, Jesus was mediator at the cross. But into the second, only the high priest goes. And he, but once a year, and not without taking blood, for he offered himself for the... He offered for himself and the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy place is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing. Not only blood, but death. He was mediator at the cross because of his death. When the Scripture talks about blood here, it's really depicting the death. In other words... We just talked about Jesus being man, and I had to sit and meditate on this. It's, it's a struggle for me to, to really consider Jesus. How do I say this? I don't have a problem consi- to, uh, to, to sit and consider Him Jesus God. My struggle is Jesus man. I have to always go back to the time in Gethsemane when He was so distraught. And what did He say? If there's any way this cup can pass by me, but not my will, but yours be done. And the Lord struck me with the realization at one point in my life, I'm not even sure how long it's been, but, but I had to sit and think about that. Okay, now that means He had a will apart from the will of God. And this is a temporary thing, mind you. But for that time, Christ... During that time of mediation, when Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh on this earth, He was man. Now think about this. He was the son of a carpenter. His manhood, the son of man, his manhood in his flesh, he had to learn things. He had to learn to speak as as an infant. I mean, he was just a normal boy. He learned to walk. He had to gain control of his physical... He had to learn the equilibrium and how that works. And so, it caused me as I meditate on that to think, you know, it's not sinful to smash your finger. I bet Jesus smashed his finger. I bet he had a... You ever ever smashed your finger so bad that your nail turned black? Probably not everybody in this room has done that. Boy, I tell you, it's... You hadn't lived till you've done that. Oh, I tell you, it's nice. Uh... I have smashed my finger so bad, blood came out of the end of my fingernail. I was thinking about that and thinking, Jesus was a man and he grew up with a carpenter. There's a real good chance he smashed his fingers bad enough that blood squirted out. But that blood, in and of itself, that's not sufficient for the remission of sins. We talk about that all the time. But, but, but the blood, when we talk about the blood of Jesus being sufficient for the remission of sins, what we're really talking about is His death. When He smashed His finger as a carpenter's boy, and that blood got on someone, they weren't sinless. I mean, it's, I'm, and I'm not making this up. I'll read some Scripture. Uh, verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verse 9, 10 talks about the death. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. I just read this a little while ago. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body. It's not just the blood. He didn't just go in and sprinkle blood the way the high priest did. 
Remember, it, it, it bring that description. He goes in with the hyssop and the wool and, and the sprinkling of the blood on everything, and that represented it. But Jesus didn't just go into the high priest, to the, to the Holy of Holy in, in heaven and sprinkle blood. That wasn't enough. He died. He was mediator at the cross because he died. In Matthew 23. The words of Jesus, and He's talking uh, in, this, in this big long discourse, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we had not taken part in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Is He talking about cutting a prophet so that He bleeds? No. He's talking about murdering prophets. The blood represents that death. Matthew 23, 35. So, so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Matthew 27. But the chief priest, talking about the, the, the money from uh, Judas, taking the pieces of silver, said it is not lawful to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. So the blood is spoken of there as death. And that's the same thing that we're dealing with here. Jesus was mediator at the cross because He died for me. It was a work He performed. Jesus was mediator at the cross. Jesus was mediator at the altar. Verse 12-14. Chapter 9, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of, of the defiled person of the ashes of the heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish, Christ Jesus was mediator at the altar. He was both the sacrifice and the sacrificed. He offered His own self as a mandate on our lives. We have that same calling. Have this mind in you, the mind of Christ. In Romans chapter 12, the first two verses... He says, we're supposed to imitate Christ Jesus in this place. He says, offer your own self a living sacrifice. The same way Christ offered His own self a living sacrifice. He was mediator at the altar. He was mediator at the cross. He was mediator at the altar. I used to sit under an old-timey Baptist preacher named Bill Stern. I heard him preach a message one time. In fact, I think I may have had a cassette tape. I think I may have listened to that 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 sermon several times enough to, to remember bits and pieces of it. But he said the problem with a living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. <laughs> and that's true of me. But that was not true of my mediator. He was mediator at the altar. He came into the actual holy of holies in heaven where sin is not allowed. 
where there is an incompatibility with a holy God if sin is upon you. And He offered His own self, the sacrifice. Once for all. He was mediator at the cross. He was mediator at the altar. And He is mediator at the throne. Don't... Don't miss the verb tense there. If mediation is the work, He was mediator at the cross. He he satisfied that work. He satisfied the wrath of God. And He was mediator at the altar. But He is mediator at the throne. Praise God that the ministry of the Lord Jesus, my mediator, still continues in my life today. The Scripture that we just read there says in in verse 24, For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Go back to chapter 7 and verse 23 through 25. The former priest were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently. He's God. He's the God-man. Eternal God-man. Because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always makes intercession. Seated at the right hand of God, we read earlier. When that work was done, he was seated at the right hand of God where he ever lives to make intercession for his church. Church, at your worst moment, if you can imagine, if you can go back in your mind to the worst moment on this, on this earth, in your life that you have experienced. There may be a wheelbarrow full of worst moments for some of you. Maybe you've been abused. Maybe you've been oppressed. Maybe you've had a, a secret darling sin that has pressed you down and put so much pressure on you that you can barely bear to deal with it at your worst instant on this earth, beloved, the King of the universe was praying for you. What a freedom. I have had a few people in my life that for whatever reason, I had, a, I had a confidence. I knew that person, that man or that woman prays for me. I had an elderly woman named Joe Demick at Eastside. Way up in her 90s. Could barely see. It, it, uh, she had a magnifier at her house 
that was this big, and, and she would have to lay her Bible, and it had, a little, it had a little camera that looked down at the pages of her Bible, and I mean, there was just about two or three words at a time. They were that big. She was just almost blind. But she went to those extents to read the Word of God because it fed her. And I knew, and listen, I didn't go home with that woman. I, I, I didn't know that woman intimately the way I do my wife, my family, you know. But I knew that woman prayed for me. She had, a, she had a prayer ministry. She had a calling on her life. She spent time before the Lord and she prayed for me. And I knew that about her. And it was a, it was a great relief. How much more to consider sovereign King Jesus prays for me. Let's go to the Lord. Father God, Your Word is so good. And, and we come before You with thankful hearts today. God, I pray if there are any amongst us, if there are any amongst us, Lord, whom You have sent Your Holy Spirit to convict and to convince their need for a mediator. God, I pray for those individuals. I pray for that heart, God, that, that, that Your Spirit would make clear to their heart that it's Your voice calling them. That there's no good in themselves. This is not something they're dreaming up. It's the good God of the universe who came and performed a work of salvation. Lord, You didn't just make a way for man to be saved. You save men. God, do Your work of salvation, Lord. We thank You so much for Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank You so much and we just give You all the glory and the honor and the praise for the work that You have performed. And we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.